This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome everyone. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio and uh, Aftermarket Weekly. Good to have you here. As you know, we're the pioneer of automotive aftermarket podcast. Been doing this for eight years. Remember, listen to learn just one thing. I am with Wesley Adams. Hey, Wesley. Hello, hello. Good to have you here. Now, Wesley works for Almers in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I've had Brian Caulfield on, Alex Cronin, and Steve Braun. I mean, I'm going through the entire management team here at Almers. It's amazing. Yeah, we've got a very good team. I'm very happy to be a part of it. You know, we've all definitely grown a lot through the years. That's for sure. Yes, you have. And I love some of the great wisdom you guys have brought and have shared here on the podcast. Today, we are talking about course correction. And when Wesley and I got on a Zoom call to prepare for this show, because we always prepare for shows, he just blew me over by the words course correction. It's not like I've never heard them before, but it almost seems so perfect, Wesley, to bring that You know, if you've lost momentum, if your current plans aren't generating the expected results, if you're stuck in a rut, marketing, growth, sales, financial, people, if uh, you just don't feel that the competence is there because the training isn't there, you got to find something in the realm of a course correction. So we're going to talk about that. Please stick around. We're coming to you live from the Dorman OE Fix or the Dorman Training Center. Uh, Yeah, it's Dorman Training now sometimes called My Carm Cave. And thank you so much, Dorman, for your continued support. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century with DormanTrainingCenter.com. We also deliver the technical training and insight service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Wesley Adams is with me, shop manager and radio host out in Cincinnati. Good to have you here, man. Absolute pleasure to be on. Okay, course corrections. Hey, when do you know? Is there any barometer that you use yourself or at Almer's when you know you've got to figure out 
that there needs to be a course correction? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with your first sentence. You know, when you're not achieving the results that you need to be achieving and course correction is a constant in life. You know, we're all trying to learn and grow and figure out a better way to do things day by day. The difference between identifying if or not you need a course correction or if you need to maintain your heading, just as um, planes do, they take up off in the air. They have a desired flight path, but they have to make tiny course corrections, different altitudes, different weather changes. There's all sorts of variables that can come into play in business and in life that you need to identify early on and then identify the best way to go around or through. them. I so agree that to bring the analogy of a ship or a plane having to do a course correction. And in fact, think about sailboats. I haven't been on a lot of sailboats in my life, but a few. And that person who's at the helm is looking at a lot of things and making small course corrections all the time. And I think it's a great, great analogy. So you can't be afraid. I mean, I think sometimes we love the monotony of the same, the same. We get up, we go to work, we're the leader of our company, and we just can't wait to get into being a fire putter outer. And you never really find time to innovate. So you just can't be afraid to jump in it. Yeah, completely agree. And, and you just said something right there. It's the difference between working in or on the business. It's impossible to course correct if you don't take that bird's eye view working on the business as opposed to in the business. You know, you have a very poor perception when you're stuck in the trenches. You might be very productive but maybe not in the big picture as much as you need to be. You're probably not looking in the right places and you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes when you hit a brick wall or you feel like you can't get your feet out of the mud, and I mentioned it, you know, being stuck in the mud earlier, you've got to go to the well. Wesley, what do you do? Are you in a networking group? Explain to me where you're getting the feedback that allows you to make the decisions or the course corrections that you're doing. Well, you kind of start by trusting your team. In my opinion, I think that if you trust your team and, and you look at them not just as your teammates or, or any type of subordinate, but rather a board of trusted advisors, you said you don't know what you don't know and you can learn from everybody, something. Um, everybody knows something that, that you don't. And if you just ask for honest feedback, your team of how everything's going, you can usually get a pretty good picture. But a lot of it also starts with being honest with yourself. If you find that you have the better vision out of the group, then as long as you maintain an honest front and you truly audit yourself and your team, to identify key areas that improvements needed or total change is needed. I think that's the start, you know, just being real and honest with yourself. Well, I love the whole idea of trusting your team, and that would come from the perspective of business course corrections. But what about personal? Have you ever undergone yourself any course corrections on a personal basis? Every day. Growing up, I guess I probably didn't foresee a whole lot of opportunity in my life. And through hard work and continually teach myself what the right thing is, right? Because you have an idea what the right thing is, but it improves. You kind of focus and hone in on who you want to be as a person. And I'm not there yet, but slow but sure, right? It's that incremental improvement. Me either, Wesley. You just said a powerful statement. I'm not there yet. I'm a constant learner, perpetual student, always looking for answers, the why, strategic thinking ideas. I can't stop. It's just who I am. It's my engine. And I'm always, always doing course corrections. Doesn't necessarily mean that every one of the things that I would like to do, I end up getting done. But there's an awful lot of things that you can think about, evaluate, 
maybe modify a try. And if it works, then you do more of it. And something, I don't know about you, but I've talked about this on the podcast earlier that every decade it seemed to me that I was a different person when I look back, you know, when I, my 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, and I would look at what kind of individual, where was I in family, where was I in business? It doesn't mean that it's exactly while you're in your 40s that this stuff happens, but there's, it was almost like a 10 year period, five, eight year period where you get to a place and you work it hard and then you evolve or you do a course correction somewhere. Yeah. You know, kind of flowing through the different chapters of life, however you want to divide them. But that's, that's a very good point. Exactly right. On a personal basis, do you do any reading? Are you, are you listening to audiobooks? What are you doing to become a better leader? Anything and everything that I see fit. Books mostly. Me being 30 years old, I'm relatively inexperienced. So I feel it best to learn from people who have done more than I. And books are the best way to do that, for sure. I mean, apart from, you know, finding a good mentor and following suit. But books, audiobooks, podcasts, just as you said, a perpetual learner absolutely and intellectually obsessed with uh, getting better. Okay. You mentioned mentor. I love it. 30 years old. Do you have one now? I would say my boss is uh, my primary mentor, Brian Caulfield. Yeah. He's definitely taught me a lot over the years, not just about auto repair, but about life, business, how to treat people, how to lead people and how to lead yourself. I've always felt that it's easier to motivate others when you yourself are disciplined. Brian, ever sit down with you and say, Hey, I see a lot in you. I want to help develop you. I want you to be your own man. I want you to make a lot of decisions, but I need to help guide you. Did that conversation ever happen? In many forms, I believe so. You know, ultimately he's grooming all of us on our leadership team to to lead this company. And, you know, it's his vision with his company. So I guess he's kind of the one to help lay out the path and then show us how to walk it. I love your words, groom. It just means a lot. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's looking to change you. He's just looking to find your, your greatest strengths and make them better. Yeah, that's a good, good way of looking at it, definitely. Business. So we were talking about, okay, course corrections during personal. What about business? What have you done or suggested to the management team that you'd like to see that we do this better, different Anything of recent? A lot. I mean, after COVID, everything's changed, right? You talk about course correction. I mean, that 2019, 2020 to 2021 period was nothing but course correction. Finding all sorts of different avenues, looking for opportunities and openings to not only improve, but to branch out, looking for opportunities to grow when others are retracting. And that was a, a great time to capitalize on that, truly. I find what you're doing currently right now, you're managing a transmission shop. Yeah, that's pretty recent also. We've, we're about a year into it. There's a course correction for you, huh? Yeah, it's been shifty. It's been shifty. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun, but definitely wasn't in my wheelhouse when I came here. I knew a lot about cars. I knew a, a transmission, you know, the engine hooked up to it, the drive shaft hooked up to the other end, but learned a lot. Even the, the business processes are different. Sales tactics are different. We still operate from the Almer's foundation of service beyond compare, giving our customers everything and more than we promised. But applying that to essentially a slightly varied business model was a learning experience for me, certainly. Where did you get your experience that you know or the model shift or the different sales techniques? Did you like hang out with somebody? Did you join an association? Did you talk to other transmission shop owners? Where'd you get it? So some of it's learning by doing. 
during the acquisition, we were lucky to, enough to keep a lot of this staff on board. So most of it, I've really learned from the employees that were with Pro Transmission for such a long time. Got it. It's being continued to be run as a standalone business, Wesley? Yeah. So it's under our umbrella. So we operate with our transmission shop, being able to have our repair shop sublet to us. But then we also operate a retail side and we do automotive repair out of this location as well. So we're still kind of shaking it up. Speaking of course correction, that's really all this has been is, you know, you have to make an attempt, you go all in on something and then you have to reflect on it and then find the best way to reposition yourself. I don't know why, but from the position that I have in this industry is I hover over it and I get a chance to talk to so many incredibly successful people and transmission shop owners. I find that the transmission business is very fruitful and very busy. And they've got extended wait times to get big jobs done. Is that what you're finding? In many cases, yes. I would say comparatively to standard maintenance and repair, it's probably about the same level of of margin and profitability. But there are lead and lag measures that vary greatly. You know, the jobs take longer. If there is an issue, once you get the transmission back in, you got to take it back out and there goes the margin. So it's not just hanging parts. You know, there's a little bit of science and art to it almost. I find that the transmission shop owners that I talk to are are very successful. And as you have just mentioned, you made an acquisition. So maybe some of the traditional shop owners that we have out there maybe would have never thought of considering a transmission shop as an acquisition. Yeah, perhaps not. That's part of the vision of Brian, right? My mentor. In a way, he's given me an opportunity to learn. You know, I guess this isn't something that I was totally comfortable going into, but discomfort is the language of growth. We had to just shove ourselves into it and figure it out. It's really turning a leaf. As a young person, a millennial, a question, what kind of experience do you have in dealing with a situation where it's not working? So what do I do next? You don't have 30 years of experience under your belt. You have intuition. You have good feeling. You've been taught well. But if you go to Brian and you say, hey, look, I've got this issue. Is he basically going to wait and sit on his hands and wait till you come up with a solution? No, he's very active, very hands on. And many of us in this company are very much the same way. We're mostly type A personalities highly competitive. So whenever I see something hard, I usually view it as a challenge rather than an obstacle. Okay. And you've got a team that's going to, if you will, fly in and support your decisions to discuss your potential moves and how you'd like to resolve it? Absolutely. Everybody on the team's exceptionally supportive and we talk through it. There's no mandate. There's no dictatorship. We come to an amicable conclusion with everyone's opinions and thoughts on the matter. And then again, try it. And then if we need to change it, we change it. You have to maintain some state of fluidity. You have to be able to fail. I think part of your point is, is that you can pull a team, an entire team together and all come up with a vote. Well, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Uh, Five to one. Boom. All right. This is where we're going. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Good leaders say, all right, fine. Let's go back and not pick plan B, but rethink what didn't work. Or if there's a different situation now that we need to consider. And that means you got to put your ego on the shelf. Definitely. Yeah. Especially coming into this being certainly the person with the least amount of experience in the transmission shop. I definitely took a bit of a backseat for a little while. Totally put the ego aside and just be there as a student for the first part of this. It sounds very smart 
to absorb as much as you can and learn as much as you can. A brilliant decision. Not that, well, he doesn't know anything, so we're going to roll over this guy, Wesley. And no, but you did that on purpose. And so many people will walk into a situation not knowing anything about it, but play the expert, and they're not. Brilliant move on your part. Uh, sometimes you can fake it till you make it, but not here. They say, I can't remember who said it, but success is not final and failure is not fatal. So it's just getting up day after day and trying to do your best, I guess. Do you ever uh, wake up in the morning and do a self-assessment and an audit of your own self to try to figure out where, where am I going? Am I getting there? What can I do better? I think everybody does that a little bit in the shower in the morning, right? You know, I guess not to like beat yourself up or be too hard on yourself, but determine what your own existential meaning is to be and then determine how you can apply what you want to mean in life to your life and try to extract the most out of it, not just for you, but for the people you love and care about and lead. Oftentimes I find myself being pretty, definitely my, my own worst critic for sure. Definitely my own harshest critic. That, that's part of the improvement and part of the course correction is identifying and again, being honest with yourself. If I messed up, you have to be able to admit that you messed up before you can change. How much do you rely on your gut? You can ask my wife. I don't know. <laughs> you know, making decisions and anticipating and feeling, you know, the vibe of a situation of a business. A good friend, he says that he can walk into the business and smell if there's a problem. I guess there's some amount of intuition there with everybody, right? A lot of it's situational awareness, you know, reading body language, reading the social scenarios. I think at this point, now that I've been doing it for long enough, I'm certainly in a better position to be able to identify those issues early on. But to the opposite end of that standard, you know, when I walked in here, I didn't know what was right and what was wrong in the transmission business. I had a great idea of what it was in, in the repair and maintenance industry, but walking into a situation and feeling it, part of it is you have to know the people. You have to understand what their typical attitude is of your team, of, of every member of the team, what their attitude is, and then also how their life's going. I mean, you can walk into a business and the, the business may be thriving, but you might have one of your key guys that's having problems at home and they might be able to put on a very good facade and you might never know the difference until you are willing to dig, right? So I don't know that you can necessarily just walk in and feel it, or at least I can't every time. I have to do a little bit of digging. Great point. You had mentioned a little earlier about how airplanes and ships will do a tiny little mini course correction adjustments and tweaks, they happen all the time. I'm, I know that you're doing them. I know that the company is doing them. Do you find out that that small little mini course corrections are better than big ones? Sometimes, yes. That's a very, very good point, you know, because massive success isn't always achieved through massive action. A lot of times it's marginal gains compounded over time and they end up resulting in something great because you're improving yourself, you're improving your team bit by bit. And each one of those marginal corrections is, it's intentional. You don't just go for a Hail Mary. You design a plan and you keep the plan fluid enough to be able to stay variable or stay flexible and just kind of take it step by step. You're a young man and you're, you said you're 30, right? Yes, sir. Where'd you get your background? I moved around a lot as a kid, single mom, not the greatest childhood, but what I did get, and it's not a victim story, what I did get out of a rougher upbringing was many examples of what not to be and what not to do. So I've always tried to make sure that my moral compass is true, regardless of what scenario I'm in. Out of high school, I started selling cars at Lexus, found out that maybe auto sales really wasn't for me. It didn't really align with, you know, how I felt from my morality. 
I was in a situation where I had a, a manager ask me to lie to a customer. And from there, I, I just really knew that it wasn't for me because I, you know, I, the way that I, if I were to consider myself a salesman, the way that I sell is by teaching. I want to guide you through a process and instruct you on how everything works and make sure that I'm providing a good service, right? I mean, I, I want to make the world a better place, even if it's tiny amount. And I certainly don't want to be dishonest with anyone. So I was lucky enough to meet my boss. In fact, sold him a car and he hired me on the spot. And I've never looked back from there. I've attended a, a fair amount of training courses to try and sharpen my skills. I probably read, I don't know, four to six books a month, all nonfiction you know, either like self-help or business strategy, sales training, something like that. So you got hired by your boss and technician, service counter. What were your first jobs? Service advisor. Okay. Yeah. First job as a service advisor. So you've never turned a wrench. Not professionally. Not no. professionally. And that's a good thing in this particular role of being a manager and a leader of people. You don't necessarily have had to say that been there and done that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be a shop owner. You can't be a general manager. You can't be a COO. We need that kind of leadership and sophistication, if you will, in knowing people and knowing business. Be great if a person had all of that great experience and all those other qualities, which so many great business owners made the leap from the bays into the CEO position. Well, I tell you, I just see nothing but greatness for you at such a young age. And your story of where you came from basically hardened you and you found, it seems to me, incredible moral direction out of the challenges that you had. I hope so. I really do. I appreciate you saying that. Another thing you just brought up, just to take a little side note, sophistication. I think for a lot of people, right, this business has a stigma that is certainly not warranted, not not deserved by any standard of the imagination nowadays. Sophistication doesn't happen. Sophistication is exactly that. You know, it's it's step by step incremental improvement to identify areas of weakness and and solve them. And as this aftermarket industry becomes more sophisticated, I only see it going up from here. You know, and, and companies like like our company at Almers, we're some of the spearheads in the industry. And it's beautiful to see a lot of these independent auto repair shops and conglomerates really following suit and investing in their people, investing in their culture. You have just nailed many of the things that we talk perpetually about on the podcast. If our mission was advancing the aftermarket, I talk about the words professionalism all the time. In fact, it was just yesterday at our on the advisory board of our local college. It was our monthly meeting. We were talking about uniforms for better uniforms for the instructors and uniforms and some kind of really good shirt for the student. And we we're using the word professionalism. I failed to use the word sophisticated. And but I just did in talking to you and you picked up on it. And if there's anything I think we can do as an industry, Wesley, is Think about the professionalism that we need to come across to our client, to the marketplace, to the people we hire and change that image. And how do we do it? By having a level of sophistication in how we approach everything we do. Finances, marketing, image, training, hiring great people. So I think, and thank you for helping me figure this thing out. Sophistication and professionalism, I think they are two mental images and words that we can use ourselves as bookends to make big change or advance our professional, the, the professional sophistication. Yeah, I'm using the words over and over again. It seems to, it just works. It just flows. And that's a beautiful word picture. You use bookends. 
it's a start point, right? Like there's so much meat and potatoes in between just the appetizer and the dessert. It's the meat and potatoes episode with Wesley Adams. I can't, whoa. We just keep having an open, very sophisticated discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And everything just comes right out. This is what I love about what I do. I mean, you sit in the studio with with an idea of a course correction episode. And by the time we get to the end, which in many cases of our podcasts is there's such great fruit that falls from the trees in our discussion as we kept going on that roller coaster uh, discussion. So this was great. I appreciate you being on, Wesley. Wesley Adams from Ulmer's part of the leadership team, and he's managing for the first time ever, a transmission shop from an acquisition, been managing for a year now, right? Yeah, here at this shop, yes. And it's doing great? It's been improving. A lot of it, part of the business left with the previous owner because he himself was a rebuilder. But I think we've filled that void. Yeah, you guys are smart. You're great operators. We've had so many of your great leadership on our podcast. You guys always come with really good wisdom and we sure appreciate it. Wesley Adams, thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you, Carmen. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.